0: There's no way out I've got to show them What I've become and There's no doubt Got my back to the world And I'm still hanging on There's no way Don't, don't, do in my life I've been all the same With a strain in my mind getting hurt again There's a pain in my heart but it's just a game Good to get over it, won't go insane Won't achieve anything while I'm down Don't want to give out my heavy-weighted frown I'm stopping this now, I'ma turn it around Heaven's on the ground, now I'm looking at the clouds Gonna make a change like a change, bigger, getting changed. change Gonna stay the same with my mind, frame rearranged. Gonna wash the blue out my mind, and my eyes Was I blind in my mind, cause that was old times Cause I'm starting fresh with a clear vision You can even spell my name in optimism Just track the M's, an I and the P And then what you're left with is me there's no way out
1: I've
0: got to show What i become There's no doubt Welcome ladies and gentlemen to tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show You are listening to PSN-Radio.com And I am Joseph, a.k.a. Zod Rider. And without further ado, I'm going to get right into it Because we got a lot of stuff to cover tonight This is a live two-hour show, event for everybody listening out there I have my guest, the imagination connoisseur himself Mr. Robert Meyer Brunette Welcome back to the Zod Rider Show
1: it's great to be back here I've, I've, I'm very much looking forward to this
0: <laughs> Oh my god I am so happy to have you here Thank you so much for accepting My invitation to be here Rob It's, it's a pleasure I, 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 I always go back To the first time you were on my show You were on my show so long ago That you were on my show Before you, were, you started doing Rob'servations And back when you did my show I still had a co-host <laughs> so it, it, there's a lot of you know a lot of stuff has has changed and happened over the years since you and I did a show together. So I guess I'm gonna get right into it and address the elephant in the room for everybody out there listening. Oh, Robert Meyer Burnett, when is the remastered edition of Free Enterprise coming out?
1: Oh my God, the eternal question. Um, well, basically, look. I'll tell you what I, what I would like to do is I would like to make the definitive – a final definitive cut of Free Enterprise. And the problem with it is is nowadays you have to finish movies in 4K to future-proof them. Even doing them in 2K isn't enough even though a lot of people are. What I'd like to do is go in and the, the entire negative of the movie has to be scanned because Free Enterprise was shot photochemically. And it's expensive to do that. It's about $100,000, even if you did it on the cheap. And I don't even own the movie, so I would have to see if I could convince our investor who paid for it to let me do that. And if he did, what I'd like to do is go in and remaster the whole film. I've been working on raising the money to do it. I might even have to try and purchase the film from him. And uh, that way I could could do it... um, and then, you know, try and get it out there. But it's something I'd like to do in the next year. Unfortunately, what I hope doesn't happen, I know that they once had made a deal with La La Land Records. They, they had made a deal with La La Land Records to put it out. And I hope that, um, that La La Land Records doesn't just put it out on home video because that would, that would be sort of a, a bummer. <laughs> that I wouldn't have. Well, any what, well, what
0: version? It. What version of the movie would they be putting out? Because you did two versions of the movie. There's the there's the uh, theatrical version that's still available. I well, I don't know. It was still available last time I checked. I didn't get to check recently. I forgot. I was going to check last night and I forgot to see if it was still on Amazon Prime. I it is. is it, but it is. Y-
1: yeah, that version of the film is, it's a 4x3 version, and that was right. made in 19, 1999 for TV. Right. It should never have been allowed to be out and put out on streaming. I don't even know why it's out there. I mean, the new version of the movie that we did that came out in 2006. The, version,
0: a- the version that I have, the, the DVD version, it's a two-disc DVD version, and it matches up with that, you know, Star Trek box set that came out several years ago with all the special edition Blu-rays. I mean, DVDs, yeah. It, it it you you know what I'm talking about. I I I love that version. That's the version that I that's the version that I watch all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the definitive that's the definitive version of the movie. But even then, you know, there's things that I would go in and and I'm not happy. You know, I edited the movie too, and I, there's just I would do nips and tucks on the whole film, um, and I would just make it better. I've just learned so much about filmmaking, and that you wouldn't you wouldn't notice, but I I would make it a better film, and um, then I w- could finally be happy with it because I think the third time would be the charm, and I would call it Free Enterprise: The Final Frontier Cut.
0: See, and that would be awesome. That I I would be one hundred percent all about that. I mean, I'd want to get that on day one as soon as it hit like a digital platform or. If you, if for whatever, if we got lucky and you were able to do a physical Blu ray edition, I would be super excited and I would get that day one as well. The thing is, is that, like, I, you know, I said this, I've said this a lot, and a lot of people who know me already know I am a huge, huge fan of this movie. It is one of my top five favorite movies of all time, which I know is very, very, would be very, very weird to people. Considering how you know, for lack of a better word, obscure this movie has become, but I yeah. kind of feel like you know, at least from my perspective, that this movie deserved a better fate than it got. Because ultimately, this is still a movie when people, when friends are like, there's a lot of a, a core, a small group of core group of friends that I grew up with. That when I watch this movie, it reminds me of. So many experiences that I had, and I know you based a lot of your own personal experiences on things that you know derived into this movie. So when I watch this movie, I've watched this movie with a, with a few of my closest friends, and they can all relate to it too because they were all there. They all understood, and and it's it's the and you know what the funniest part of watching this movie is for me. In you know modern times it 's like if you if you like you 're on a date you 're on a date with someone you 're on a date with a woman or you 're with your significant other or you 're with your wife, and you go back and you say okay here 's this movie that i you know that really can kind of almost encapsulates how fandom started for me. This is the movie that i this is the movie that I show people this is the movie that I say if you want to learn about why i 'm such a you know such a fan why I'm such a sci-fi nut and why I'm into oh you oh well, we got cut we got cut off
1: but you were saying this is your fandom this is this is what got you into fandom yeah yeah yeah
0: what I was saying was this is what got me into fandom if you want to know what got me into fandom let me show you this movie this movie is kind of how it happened for me and I and so I and so there's so many things that I take from this movie which is one of the reasons why it is one of my top five movies of all time. And then I remember when I did that show when I had you on and then you went into details about Free Enterprise 2. And I was just giddy like a little kid because I was like, man, that would be the best thing ever. And I'm sitting here like what I remember doing the show of sweating and my 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 uh you know my uh, co host at the time, you know, Victoria thought I was crazy because she was like she was like, she was like, well, I mean, I know you you love the movie and all, but like, I'm like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. Rob wants to do a follow up to this. I mean, it was just like I was just, I don't know. All all I know for sure is that that's what I mean. It's like this this movie, the first Free Enterprise, had a profound impact on my life because I can relate to it so much, and. So when you when I got you on and you you and I started talking and I realized how how much you and I share in terms of how we how we view things like fandom wise and the way you know movies with movies and everything I just it it became it became instantly clear to me that that this was something that was gonna have to be, you know. This was something that was gonna have to be addressed, and we were gonna have to, we were gonna have to talk more often. And you know, things happened, and then, and then as the years went on, and then we came, then we come to the big, and then we come to the big, you know, kind of fork in the road where I, I, I kind of I, I diverged from where from where you were. We dis, we completely, we completely disagreed. where We were completely at odds with. With each other on a certain topic And I just And I don't know To me I was like that was That was the one thing that I just I couldn't understand I couldn't rack my brain around it And it was bothering me Because at that point I was like Well I don't know why Rob feels the way he does But I know how I feel But I kind of realized at that point Robert That I was a lot closer to it than you were I mean I was kind of I was involved I was involved with the I was involved with the campaign I was involved with the with the with the in, inner workings I was I was closer to I mean I was dealing with the people who were dealing directly with with the director himself so I was so I I feel like I was too close to it and I think that's the reason why I had a rift and I was unable to see your Why there was such a rift I was unable to see your point of view Because I was too close to the situation And well, what well, I'm I, talking about Ladies and gentlemen Is hashtag release the Snyder Cut I know I went on a bit of a rant there But I wanted to make it clear For people listening So that they understand I, I harbor no ill will Towards Robert Meyer Brunette About any of this whatsoever well, I feel I like do i feel like i feel like him and i are more him and i are more alike when it comes to opinions on a lot of this stuff than 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 anybody would ever realize so that's why i it's kind of like having this conversation now is so is so important to me but i i'll shut up for a moment and and uh you know so we can get you know your point of view on this
1: about free enterprise or about the Snyder Cut?
0: <laughs> well, just just like I, I guess it's I guess if you wanna if you wanna talk a little bit about you know free enterprise and then segue into <laughs> where you are with the Snyder Cut, kind of well, like yeah, how I did. I, I
1: mean, what's very interesting to me is um, you know, as you know, um, uh, in the nineties, I wrote for a magazine called Sci Fi Universe. And yes. there was there was a group of us in um, here in Los Angeles and we sort of considered ourselves how should I put this? We like to consider ourselves the cool geeks <laughs> if there was such a thing. Okay. And well, that a lot works. of my a lot of my group of friends have gone on like uh, Phil Lamarck plays a character in Free Enterprise named Eric Wallace.
0: Yes, well, and he also and he also voiced Green Lantern in Justice
1: it. League. He did in the in well, the
0: cartoons.
1: Well, the real Eric Wallace is now the executive producer and showrunner of The Flash, for real. So Phil Lamar was playing a character who's now the executive producer uh, of The Flash. So it's this this cadre of friends that I have that Free Enterprise is about. Everyone has sort of gone on to. Uh, success, you know, in the the entertainment business, which is uh, varying degrees. I mean, I'm probably the least successful of of us all, but it's been, you know, it's been really gratifying. And during the interim time, uh, I like to call the time we live in now. If you listen to my um, podcast, my uh, YouTube show, we live in the post geek singularity. Yes. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, um, Ray Kurzweil wrote this book called The Coming Singularity, and that would be when AI achieves sentience or self-awareness. So, the post-geek singularity, when we were growing up, science fiction, comic books, role-playing games, D&D, video games, they were all very sort of... Neat. Oh. Um. Cut to where we are now. There, everything is mainstream. All of it. Like if you told me 20 years ago, dude, there's going to be Avengers movies. I'm like, come on, man. No one's going to make an Avengers movie. You would probably have to make like a Captain America, a Thor and an Iron Man movie first. And then you could make an Avengers movie. That's never going to happen. I mean, that's basically where we were 20 years ago. Cut to now. You know, cut to X-Men coming out in 2000, changing the landscape, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Daredevil, Electra, And then, of course, the MCU starts in 2008 with Iron Man. So the world we live in, and especially in the last 20 years, I couldn't have even dreamed of in the late 90s. I never would have even dreamed of it. Uh, and, and now where we're at now, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, it's unbelievable to see where we've become or where, what, what we've become and where we're at now. So, but during that whole time, you know, I've worked on, on movies. I've produced movies. I've I've produced movies. I've directed and um, I've mostly worked in post-production, uh, editing and um, that kind of thing. So, I, I'm a huge Zack Snyder fan. I loved Superman. I love Man of Steel. I loved his take on uh, on Superman and I, I really liked batman v superman especially the ultimate cut of it the ultimate edition yeah, of it the ultimate edition
0: is the only way that anybody who's big who's big into Zack snyder even watches that movie to be honest yeah, I can't.
1: yeah and i i find it fascinating to me that you know when the movie was first screened or whatever they thought they thought that movie was going to make a billion dollars and uh why wouldn't they you know why wouldn't they think it was going to make a billion dollars um, and it didn't, you know, and it was seen as a disappointment, even though it wasn't. And, uh, I was really looking forward. Like I've wanted to see a justice league movie my entire life. When I was a kid, that's the only comic book I read. My mom used to buy them off the spindle rack for me. And, you know, my favorite thing in the world was when the justice society of America teamed up with the justice league of America once a year. They used to do it when I was a kid once a year in, in the comics, which I thought was the greatest thing ever. So I've wanted to see a justice league movie my whole life. Now, I really thought what Snyder was doing with Superman... A lot of people don't like Man of Steel, which I've never understood in my life. I don't get it at all. Because people are like, well, Superman wouldn't allow the civilians to get killed, and uh, he wouldn't kill himself. I'm like, okay, first of all, um, that's great if you're watching the animated series. But if if you look at Man of Steel, it's definitely... If Superman existed in our world today, what would that be like? You know, and that's, it, it's not, it isn't this, like, I don't understand people that are like, well, if you're, if you're, it's like an Else World story. If you're setting a movie today and in the world the way it is today, there are certain considerations. Now, in Man of Steel, it's shown that Clark does not even know who he is. You know, he spends the beginning of that movie is he has no idea who he is. He has no idea what his origins are. He has no clue. He does know he has these powers, but he doesn't like he's searching. He's not searching to to try and help people. He's trying to figure out who he is. And in Man of Steel, he figures it out. And within, I don't know, a week, the Kryptonians arrive to wreak havoc, to wreck shop and, He's expected to, what, be a fully realized Superman, to be fighting for truth, justice the American way? I mean, he's just discovered who he is, and suddenly he's dealing with people, warriors from his home planet, that are much more, they know how to fight, you know, and the one advantage he has is they've never been on Earth before, so they're they're not as up on their powers as Superman's, a little bit ahead of him, a little bit ahead of them. And they ultimately decide to destroy all life on Earth. They're going to kill every human being on the planet. And Superman destroys the world engine on one side of the world. He comes back. And uh, despite the fact that there's incredible amounts of damage in Metropolis, he's able to save the planet Earth, kill Zod, and and save how many billions of people? So I always thought that was an epic win because if you really have Kryptonians fighting other Kryptonians on Earth with their powers – You're not just going to be flinging Zod into a Coca-Cola sign that we saw in in, in 1981 Superman 2. I mean, this is going to be a battle. The cost of this battle is going to be enormous. The the amount, the loss of life is going to be staggering. And Superman is thinking one thing. He's thinking, how am I supposed to stop this man from killing the world? And, you know, people are going to die. This is war this is a this is a terrible horrible thing that happens so when superman defeats zod when superman defeats zod and kills him he doesn't have a choice you can't put him in jail what's he going to do bury him on the moon there's no choice it's him or me that's it and so when i thought that was really cool i thought okay we've never seen a superman like this and i really liked it and i thought everybody would like it i was very surprised at the fan backlash Uh, against man of steel and people like well superman fights for truth justice i'm like he's not even superman yet he doesn't even know who the hell he is he hasn't even contemplated what his what what does he owe humanity he doesn't know He, he he's just figuring out how to fly and now he's had to fight for his life against other kryptonians so basically what we were watching was was the birth of superman but he's not really the Superman we know yet because he hasn't even come up with his own life philosophy. And and I was surprised that people disliked the movie. The fans wanted to see a more reverential take on Superman. But I'm like, well, that'll come like the journey of this Superman character. We're going to I think what Zack Snyder is going to do is take us on that journey and show us how Superman, as we know him, is forged. Exactly. Where, You know, and and that's how I always believed it was supposed to go. And then, you know, one of the things I I thought that Dawn of Justice, what was one of my favorite things in any movie ever is the beginning of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice with Bruce Wayne. And, And I thought, oh, my God, opening this movie, watching a man on the street, but it's Batman watching Batman's perspective of this battle with powers that he can't even fathom like we've never seen anything like this on earth before and i i love that because it, it tells you everything you need to know about why batman would never trust superman and why he's diametrically opposed to having why he's diametrically opposed to having superman on earth i mean i thought it was i thought it was the greatest thing ever the movie was a little overstuffed and it wasn't until I saw the, Oh, I don't think the ultimate version is perfect, but there's something that's very mythic about the portrayal of both the characters. I mean, it feels like you're watching these two gods and I, it really, as a kid, it made me feel like what I thought about the DC universe when I was a kid. You know, these characters were larger than life and their conflicts with one another are, are gigantic. And I mean, I loved all that. So I was really waiting to see justice league. And when I heard about, you know, the way the film business works and the way Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers was completely, I thought, from the top down, dysfunctional at the time. And the two biggest evidence, the the biggest evidence of this dysfunction is what happened to Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad, because you had a studio regime uh, Kevin Sujahara's studio regime that was looking literally Disney is just down the street from Warner Brothers in Burbank looking down the street going our shareholders and and the people that are above me expect our characters Batman Superman Wonder Woman Green Lantern Aquaman whatever our characters should be making as much money as they're making at Warner Brothers I mean at uh, Disney why? And there's a, there's a very good reason for that. And the reason is is that Kevin Feige worked on 13 different Marvel movies before he started the MCU. He worked his way up and he worked on all those movies from X-Men all the way up to well, all of those films, Daredevil, Elektra, Spider-Man. He saw what worked. He saw what, what didn't work. And so when he finally created the MCU in 2008 when Iron Man was released – He knew it worked. He knew it didn't work. He had a plan. They knew exactly what they were going to do because Kevin Feige was a fan, first and foremost. Then he he worked at Richard Donner's company like Jeff Johns did. They worked as PAs and he worked his way up. He saw how the business worked. And then he was physically producing movies. He was physically working in a producerial capacity on these early Marvel movies from 2000 on so he saw what worked and what didn't work and he learned he learned his craft he learned how to become a movie producer and he also understood something that was very important which is you don't try and think you don't you don't think that you're smarter than the source material now kevin feige will look at something like civil war and he'll go okay sure we're not going to introduce the new warriors and have them they're in a reality show and this explosion happens and that's what sets off the Sokovia Accords, he figures, okay, we're going to take our inspiration from the comics, but we're also going to adapt those stories into our version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so, and they've done a phenomenal job. Now, people, some people will object like certain things like, you know, real diehard fanboys, and I'm a huge comic book collector, so I understand they have to make changes. I mean, the Lord of the Rings movies are, are terrific adaptations of Tolkien, but people will be like, well... You know, they don't have Tom Bombadil in them. And I'm like, well, you can't. I understand that. But Tom Bombadil works as a literary character. But when you try and put him in a movie, it's a little little difficult. You've, you've got to make certain uh, concessions. So the MCU was, was one thing. The problem over at um, DC, at Warner Brothers, is that they didn't have a Kevin Feige. They didn't have somebody at the top who understood this material and what worked about comic book adaptations and what didn't work about comic book adaptations because they only had studio executives and studio executives aren't filmmakers. Studio executives are – they're Ivy League educated business people that get hired by the parent corporations because you want to hire somebody who went to Harvard, Stanford or uh, Yale or, or Princeton and that's not a movie producer. So there's nobody at Warner Brothers that can make these creative decisions. So they're like, okay, we're going to allow Christopher Nolan to take over. And he makes, because there was such success with the Dark Knight movies. But Christopher Nolan didn't want to become some empresario overseeing the DC universe. He has a lot of other uh, movies he wants to make, whether it's The Prestige or Inception or Dunkirk or now Tenet. I mean, he doesn't want to get bogged down making superhero movies for the rest of his life. He's a true filmmaker. So it's him and then it's Zack Snyder. And, you know, you've got Zack Snyder. Now, here's here's something that's important to remember. When Zack Snyder made Watchmen, there are three cuts of Watchmen. There's the theatrical cut, there's the director's cut, and there's the ultimate cut of Watchmen that has all the Tales of the Black Freighter stuff in it. So Warner Brothers has precedent with Zack Snyder making multiple copies or multiple versions of a movie. Now, there isn't one of Man of Steel, but obviously with Batman v Superman. There is. You've got the ultimate cut of that, and you have the theatrical version because there's this. There is in Hollywood. The conventional wisdom is you. It's it's really hard to release movies over two and a half hours. You know, even two and a half hours is too long. But Zack Snyder is working. He's making the movies he wants to make. He's an auteur as well. So the idea was he had planned what five movies total. Justice League was going to be split into two. And then they were going to do a movie after that, even. But what happened was, with the studio regime, Batman v Superman did not do what they wanted it to do. You know, did not, It didn't make a billion dollars. And there was a lot of, at the studio level, there's a lot of second-guessing. Everybody's blaming themselves, and why is that? And I would maintain that if they allowed Zack Snyder to release his original cut of the film, even if it was three hours long, Let's call it the ultimate version. That it would have made a billion dollars. Because people would have sat for it. They would've yeah. I mean you put Batman and Superman into a movie. If it's three hours long, it would have just been more epic and people would have but gone back you
0: and like from. Lord of the Rings. That's that's the way yeah. I always looked at it. If people could sit and obviously Lord of the Rings is is a perfect example. If people can sit through that, then you're gonna have the devoted fan base that's gonna be able to sit through a Batman v.
1: Superman. Right. And, but the problem is at the studio level, they're not thinking about that. You know, one of the things that, that Kevin Feige understands and other people don't is the relationship that fans have with this material. Cause Kevin Feige one is a fan and he grew up being a fan and he under, he understands all of this, um, material. He gets it. Well, at the studio level, they don't get that. As a matter of fact, they resent the fans they 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 they're like oh why do we have to cater those people but they they don't get it so and they haven't they don't get it with Star Wars they don't understand it with Star Trek either it's like and and what happens is you have the corporate over, overlords they are expecting a certain thing and they don't understand ultimately what makes these franchises the most successful is if the franchise properties whatever they make the movies the television shows are true to the stories that they're trying to tell. Once you once you start putting your corporate interests like for Star Wars for instance, the fact that they never made a Star Wars movie with Luke, Han, Leia, R2, 3PO, Chewie in in one film like the, the, Disney's like, well, you know, now that we bought Star Wars, we have to reinvent it for a whole new generation. What they don't what they didn't understand about that, that is wrong thinking. What people want to see and what they really wanted was to see all of our classic characters together again.
0: Absolutely, yes. They ne-
1: and and this is something they don't understand because from a corporate point of view, they need everything new. We have to attract new, we, we need the kids. We need, And they don't understand that the kids, not for everything, but for Star Wars, it doesn't matter if Han, Luke, and Leia that are older. That is okay. Those are the core characters of Star Wars. That's what made Star Wars popular in 1977 and you had an opportunity You never they made a a, a new series of films and they never put all those characters together. As a matter of fact, they kept them apart. They were never together. Yeah, it was deliberate and 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 it was nonsense. Because because from a from a from a corporate point of view, they're trying to get what they thought, and this is corporate think, they're getting new characters together. And they want these new characters to exist so they can sell they can they can they can make everything new because they believe that what's important is Star Wars itself, the idea of Star Wars the name once you have something with a Star Wars label slapped on it, it's gonna be a success. Well, we all know as fans that is not true, and they've been having the problem the same problem with Star Trek. Let's change Star Trek. Let's go back and make it more appealing to the younger crowd. The younger crowd doesn't know what the fuck star trek it can i can I swear
0: <laughs> yeah swear absolutely.
1: That. Okay, the younger crowd doesn't know. You know they have no expectations. You, you've got a venerable 50-year show. And they're like, let's go back to the essence of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Well, the problem is in pop culture history, we've watched Kirk, Spock, and McCoy grow old and die in the film series. It started out in 1966. Kirk was killed in 94 in Generations. You know, And it's, it's, we don't need to go back and see you know one of my I always talk about this but one of the most successful I think parts of a franchise and people do not give enough credit for this is what Ryan Coogler did with Creed. Yes. I mean it's 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 the 6th Rocky sequel, you know, the 7th Rocky movie, the 6th sequel and and he he kept Rocky Balboa. He gave Sylvester Stallone he wrote that character so well that Stallone got nominated for an Academy Award for his performance, and he introduces Adonis Creed, who's also a canonical character, and it all fits really well together. A beautiful film. That's what you do when you reinvent or, or, or continue a franchise. With Star Wars, they should, have, they should have done the same thing. You bring the characters back. You bring our characters that we all know and love. You show us where's the galaxy at 30 years after the end of Return of the Jedi. Where's it at? Set it up for us. Tell us what's going on, and then mess it up. Then introduce the first order or whatever. But when you introduce what, as soon as that movie starts, you're sitting there going, "Wait, what? What's happening?" You're looking. They haven't told you. There's no setup. They don't. They're not giving the people that have been following the story anything to grab a hold of, and all you're given is themes and tropes and characters that are just they look like other people. Oh, like the first orders, like the Empire. You know, Poe Dameron is like Han Solo. Ray is kind of like Luke. Well, if you're thinking about that in the movie theater, what you're really thinking is, why aren't I seeing Luke? Why aren't I seeing Han? Why aren't I seeing Princess Leia? I mean, you did see Princess Leia, but why, aren't, why am I watching all of this stuff when really what I want to know is what's happened to Luke, Han, and Leia and Chewie and R2 and 3PO? And if you were to answer that question and tell a story, and then within that story, you introduce these new characters, and you see the characters interacting with the old characters. Then the audience will buy into that. Yep. This, is a very, this is a very roundabout way. So, so what happened at Warner Brothers is they suddenly they didn't make a, a, a they didn't make billion dollars off Batman v Superman. Well, remember, the studio was the one that said, you have to cut this movie down, Zach, and we'll treat it like we did Watchmen. But you can't do that. You know, the, the studio execs are just like, they're just thinking about time. They're not thinking about plot. They're not thinking about how the fans are going to respond. They're not thinking about, you know, should Metropolis and Gotham City really be just across the bay from one another? I mean, I don't know. You know, they're not, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff happening that, that they don't, they're not considering the same way that the audience is considering it. So both Suicide Squad, and then by the way, this is all theory and conjecture on my part. Both Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman suffered from a studio. Uh, because of Batman v Superman, Justice League and Suicide Squad both suffered from studio executives not meeting the expectations that everybody had for them. So they decided, well, why don't we, we're going to try and change things up midstream. We're going to take Suicide Squad away from David Ayer. We're going to bring in a trailer company, which is ridiculous, to recut this movie. And it was turned into a hot mess. And whatever happened with Justice League... They, they were given a perfect excuse with what happened in Zach's family and in real life. Like, I don't know, Zach, Mr. Snyder, I should say. And they, they, they had an excuse. They brought in Joss Whedon. Let's bring in Joss Whedon because he made Avengers. As if that's going to work. You know, you're going to get dismissed. Your director is going to leave. What they should have done after a family tragedy is put the movie on hold, even though you can't because so much money has been spent. But they should have. And let him finish the film but it was it was and, and they did the same thing with suicide squad they they fucked around with that as well and suicide squad made they were lucky you know it it made the kind of money that they wanted it to make they they pulled a, they they that was a they were they were given a gift with suicide squad even though that movie i thought i thought that was the worst edited big budget studio movie i've ever seen it was it was incoherent to watch like when i was watching it, i'm like what what's happening and you could tell how much if you look at the trailer you could see that in the trailer, there's all this footage that they didn't even use in the finished film. And you're, you're, oh, you're, yeah.
0: And, and there's so much in those trailers that stand out as good material. Oh, yeah. And then when, and then when you see the film, you're expecting to see these, these scenes. So they're like glaring holes.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the same was true of Justice League.
0: So, oh, absolutely.
1: so they go in there and, and, you know, Joss Whedon comes in. And I, and I get what they were, what they were trying to do but it shows the 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 final the final version of justice league shows how wrong headed this thinking is because again it's a movie that is uh, it's a uh, it's just a mess when i saw that movie I, i don't think i've seen a movie that was more soul crushing in a long time but here's the thing and this is something that people have to remember when talent especially actors sign up to make a movie. They have very specific contracts that say very specific things. And justice league was a movie that was for better or for worse was finished. It was a finished movie. And Zack Snyder got full directing credit on it. I mean, what, Joss Whedon gets a screenwriting credit and maybe a producer or something credit on it. But it was still considered, a, uh, Zack Snyder has a directing credit. So as far as the studio is concerned and as far as the, the talent is concerned and everybody that worked on the movie, the DGA, um, the Directors Guild of America, all of the guilds, the Writers Guild, the movie was done. It was finished. So, and and... When the Snyder, this idea of, of, of Zack Snyder, like I wanted to see Zack Snyder's cut. When I saw Justice League, I'm like, well, uh, nothing could be worse than this, like this movie's, and where's all the footage that was in the trailer? Where's Cyborg's backstory? I mean, we don't, he was playing football, we meet his dad, like what, what's up with that? And there's, there's all this footage that you can see in those trailers that clearly was part of what Zack Snyder was doing, and it was finished, it's there. So what happened? So in my mind, clearly, I thought that Zack Snyder's version of Justice League was going to be one of the great lost movies of all time because of what happened. And I also know that there are realities of the business. Like you can't, with, with, with Justice League having already come out, you couldn't just do a new version of Justice League. So now two versions would exist because there you have problems, you have guild issues, you have actor contract issues there 's all kinds of issues about how that would work and so when the idea of the Snyder cut came out, the first thing I thought about when, when I first started i mean even before there was a movement, I thought to myself it 'd be really interesting to see what he was working on because the way movies the way movies are worked on is especially big budget films it 's a very iterative process so you can cut like a movie starts being edited, especially big, big budget movies like this, even before they start shooting. So you're getting animatics. The special effects sequencers are being prevised, and and the director is working with the previous companies are to 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 pre-direct the movie essentially in previous form. So so you 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 um um you're, you're editing this movie even before it's shot and so when you start shooting a movie every an editing team usually starts on day two because you can't start on day one because nothing's there but with these big budget sci-fi films there's already an editing staff there so the editor and the assistant editors or whatever they're working and they're working during the entire production of the movie and then so you're as you go you can watch the movie Day by day, as it's being assembled, they do what's called an assembly. They're doing an assembly edit uh, as they go, and the editor is, is picking shots. They, there's usually circled takes and stuff, so they're actually building an edit as they as they go along. Now, a lot of it on a movie like Batman v Superman or or Justice League, or I worked on Superman Returns. I was on set every day that movie was being shot because I was doing the documentary. But when you, when these movies are going along, the director goes up and works even with the editor, like after a day's shooting on Superman Returns, Brian Singer would go up and hang out in John Ottman's edit bay and they would, they would be cutting scenes. So you're, you're cutting the movie as you go. So by the time a movie wraps, there's a cut of the movie. You know, you can, it's not, it's not for any kind of consumption, but there's a cut of the movie. And uh, depending on how far along they were with previs, you can get even iterations of effect shots, and you're dropping them in as you go. So, however, this doesn't mean you're anywhere near completion of the film. And it was apparent to me, like, even after they stopped shooting, it could take another year of post-production to finish because there's, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. But with these big effects films, it's, it's a ton of effects work. So what, what I thought was really interesting when I started hearing about, um, the Snyder cut, I was like, well, of course, you know, of course there's a cut. I'd be curious to see where he was going with it. But I never thought I'm like, it's it, it, people would say, well, he's, you know, the cut's almost done. And I'm like, I uh, from the very beginning, I'm like, no, no. I mean, p- because you have to understand the process of how a movie is made. And so I'm like, okay, I get what you guys want. But what you think, and then people, because I'll tell you something, even people who are working on movies don't understand just where, unless you're very intimately involved with the post-production process, you don't really know how much goes into post. So like you can sit nowadays, you can watch various iterations of effect shots, and some of them look pretty finished, even though they're not nearly as finished as you might think. So there's a lot of work that goes that that's going on. So when people started talking about release the Snyder Cut and all that, I'm like, what was frustrating for me? What I tried to explain to people, I'm like, yes, there's a cut of this movie, it exists, but I'll bet you there's millions, tens of millions of dollars worth of work that still needs to be done because it was there's there's just it's not even you didn't you just don't have the time you you needed. If you worked on post for four months, there's still another eight months of full-on post, meaning the effects have to be done. I think the biggest
0: what what you which I understand everything you're saying, Rob, and I and that's why I, you know, it's like it you you make you make a lot of great points, and you you know you're stating a lot of factual information, but I think where where the disconnect comes between between the stuff that you're saying. And the whole idea behind the release the Snyder Cut movement is that we were listening to Zack Snyder himself on his viral social media platform. Sure, and well, Zack, I him Sny- too. Zack Snyder himself on his vi- on his viral social media platform is telling us it's done. I have a cut. It's up to the studio to release it He's telling us literally that it's done We're hearing the two words, it's done And because we're hearing the two words, it's done We're following along with that We're listening to the director telling us he has a movie And then later on as you get further and further into the movement And the whole concept of of release the Snyder Cut You have people like Jason Momoa who literally went on MTV and was asked about it, and Jason Momoa said, I've seen the Snyder cut. And the guy said, Well, it's probably just a collection of, of scenes and all that. The effects aren't done, right? It's, it's you know, and, and he's like, And Jason Momoa says, Well, what? You don't think that Zack Snyder could, you know, could finish? And the guy's like, Well, you tell me. And Jason Momoa says, Next question. So when right. Jason Momoa said that he's seen the Snyder cut, and there were all these reports coming out of people saying that they they saw the movie and it was sick it was great they were using all these you know super positive words to describe how great the movie was what movie are they talking about because the movie you guys are talking about you're saying the movie has you know it's going to cost millions of dollars to finish uh hollywood reporter saying describes it as a as a car with no insides With no, with no wheels With no, you know, you know, it's just like a husk And it needs all the stuff to be filled well, in Well, if you're going to say that What movie did Jason Momoa watch? And what cut is Zack Snyder referring to When he says, well, it's done, I have a cut It's up to the studio um, to release
1: it I, I think that's a very fair question Now, I think that's a very fair question What I don't doubt is he probably had, I would imagine, maybe he even had a, what's called a locked picture. So his cut's locked. You know, it's done. However, yeah. you still, that's still, there's. It's, it's really difficult to try and explain the idea of, with these large films, having a locked picture still means there's eight months of work left. Thousands of people have effects work to finish. And, and when you are putting together movies, there's, you, I mean, a lot of the previs of visual effect shots now looks very finished, even though it's not. But to the untrained eye, I mean, it sells the idea of it. And, and so I don't doubt that he had a finished cut. He probably did. He probably had a picture lock. Because you have to have, you can't finish your effect shots until you have picture lock. I mean you can you can mess around and change things around but visual effects you you pay for by the frame. And when I say frame if there's 24 frames per second, you know, you're not making five or six extra frames. You know, it's got to be frame accurate because each frame takes render time and costs money. So it's really important to have as much of your picture cut finished, locked before you start doing the final effects work. And so i always came at it from the perspective of like whatever happened then he he got curtailed he had to leave the project and whatever he did was put away somewhere on drives joss whedon comes in and looks at what's there but he's gonna go make his movie so he rewrote whatever 80 percent or something and goes out and shoots what he wanted to make and and to me i'll tell you one of the biggest things that that the idea that they had to bring Henry Cavill back—he had the mustache. He couldn't because of Mission Impossible Fallout. I mean, that movie, The Justice League, as we see it, opens with that cell phone footage of Superman, and it's so bad. His the Henry Cavill face—it doesn't look like him at all, you know. And 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 that's how the movie opens. And if I, I was Joss Whedon, I would have been like, "Well, we're locked into using whatever." Whatever we have of Henry Cavill, whatever's already been shot, that's what we have to use. But they didn't do that. They went back and, and I I was like that alone. I'm like, how can, how can you open your movie with your lead actor who's playing Superman look like that? Like yeah, a bad exactly. visual effect that's, shot. That's it so, was,
0: that's so terrible.
1: It, that's so
0: terrible because because the scenes that Zack Snyder was showing us, the black and white photos on his viral social media, the visual effects, the shots that he's showing us of Cyborg and of Batman and of Superman, and all the shots he's showing yeah. us look better than the shots that they used in the actual movie. So when people say, "Well, the movie's not the movie's not done" or whatever. I mean they might as well have just released whatever it was Zack Snyder had, you know, and just made the best of it because clearly the effects that Zack Snyder had in his movie already, whatever cut he has, is better than what we got in theaters because what studio is going to allow Superman to come out looking like Bizarro in the opening scene of their big movie that they're expecting to make a billion dollars off of?
1: Dude, I I have to tell you I, when I sat in the theater, I was baffled. I I mean, I'm like, who allowed, who allowed this to happen? (laughs) Like I was just sitting there and, you know, Joss Whedon was given a thankless task. You know, there was nothing, there was no way he could, he could have salvaged that whole thing. I
0: think he gets, and I, and I will say this, you know, I think that in a lot of, a lot of ways, Joss Whedon came in and he did a job. If they yeah. didn't if it wasn't him, it would have been some other director. And I feel and I and i kinda and I mean I, I, a lot of people say, well, you know, Josh Whedon didn't have to take that job. He could have turned it down. But my thing is he was probably offered a lot of money. A lot and of- it was probably something that he he figured he could do and he tried to do the best with it he could under the studio mandates. Now I'm not making excuses for Joss Whedon I, by any means, but my whole thought process on this is that if you want to if you want to put the blame anywhere, you have to put the blame at the studio executive level because that's where those decisions are made.
1: That's what I mean, I mean Warner Brothers they were they were making terrible decisions. They were reactionary, yes. they were grabbing at straws. They wanted to duplicate the success
0: I think what they did worked. it for me I think what did it for me, Rob, what what put me over the edge when it came to all of the all of the people saying, you know, release the Snyder cut, oh the Snyder Cut doesn't exist. I think where I finally where I finally drew the line was the day that Zack Snyder showed a picture of the Justice League canisters on his Vero the film canisters. The thirty five millimeter film canisters that say Justice League, 214 minutes. This was his cut of the movie. And when Scott Scott Mendelson, a reporter on Twitter, made a comment about Zack Snyder about it probably being a, uh, an assembly cut, and Zack Snyder himself came onto Twitter, and Zack Snyder really isn't on Twitter all that much. He came on Twitter and actually corrected Scott Mendelson and said, Hey, look, man, my assembly cut was five hours long. This isn't an assembly cut. This is, you know, the two fourteen minute the two hundred and fourteen minute cut is Zack Snyder's cut of the movie. So for me, I, I just I that's where I kind of where I kind of like disconnected completely and stopped, you know, stopped even paying any attention to anyone who said, Oh, it didn't exist, oh, it's not done. Because then right around that time is when we were hearing when we heard from Jason Momoa, he saw it. You know, it's like I feel like that there's a lot of there was a lot of misinformation going around at that time, based on what was what was done and what wasn't done. And one of the things that stand out to me as I talked to somebody that uh, claimed to be in the know, and he explained it to me like this. And I, I you know I won't use his name, but he said he actually had said to me in a private message. He said he said. I said, "Well, what, what's what's the deal? Why are all these people saying that the cut doesn't exist, and Zach is saying, is telling us that he has a cut that it's done? Who are we supposed to believe?" And and then th- this guy that I was talking to was one of the gentlemen who was saying, like you, that the movie is going to cost tens of millions of dollars to complete. So I asked him straight out. I said, "Well, well, if you're saying this, and Zach is saying it's done." I mean who are we supposed to believe Jason Momoa just said he'd just seen it What are we supposed to do mm. And he made, he made a great point Rob He said this He said what you're not understanding Is that Warner Brothers Has A bunch of footage That Zack Snyder shot They have whatever Zack Snyder Left at Warner Brothers Before he left the project What they have Is what Would need to be worked on In order for the Snyder Cut to be released But then he said But what Zack Snyder In Zack Snyder's case Zack Snyder could very well Have his own Completed cut of the movie That he finished That he did That he had pulled in some favors and got the visual effects done or whatever, did it on his own, got it done and this is the cut that he's showing people. But what you have to realize is that Zack Snyder cannot show that cut of the movie, cannot release that cut of the movie. He can keep it, have it for his own personal for his own personal use, but you have to consider that if Zack does have a cut like that, it's like it's like the equivalent of like say like a fan edit because he can't legally release it He can't put it out there He can't do anything If the Snyder Cut gets released Zach is going to have to come back to Warner Brothers And work with whatever materials Warner Brothers has And that's how it was explained to me So it's very possible that Zach had his own cut And that was the cut that he was showing to people So when he says, I have a cut I have many cuts, it's up to the studio to release it. That's what he's talking about. He has a different version that we that we just can't see because he, we don't he, we have to go with whatever the studio has. So when he said that that kind of made a little more sense to me and I kind of thought about it, tried to think about it from that perspective of maybe from Zack Snyder's point of view He's talking about the cut of the movie that he actually has in his possession, versus what he would have to work on if he came back to finish the Snyder cut. So I don't, you know, I I don't know, but when I but the whole but the whole division really kind of. You know, really, kind of threw me off, and I I just got tired of hearing people say that it didn't exist, that it wasn't real, that it was a pipe dream, and then even Zack Snyder himself commented and said he's just when he showed the picture of the canisters, he said he's just tired of people saying that it's not real.
1: You know, you know what I thought of when I saw those canisters? What did you think of? I thought that was like the ultimate troll because those canisters are of. A finished film print, yeah, like like exactly. That's a finished. He didn't have a finished film print. (laughs) I mean, the thing is, when you when you the movie wasn't edited on film, it was edited digitally, and and so. In order to do well, that Well doesn't that,
0: it get doesn't it get edited? Okay, but doesn't it get edited digitally and then it gets transferred to 35mm film? Yes, and it once it gets, and then once it gets transferred to 35 5mm, that's an actual film because it's very expensive to do that. So when you have when you have a movie that's transferred from digital to 35mm, they usually don't at that point, you're not going back and editing it or doing anything, right? That's the cut right. that you're that's yes. the cut to have. So that's what I was thinking. I, that's why I was saying film school 101, if he if he put that movie on 35 millimeter film, that movie is done. He's yep. had that movie. That yep. movie is done and that's what made me think that maybe, that's the truth Maybe he does have a cut oh, And the no. version I, that they The version that they're talking about at Warner Brothers Where they're saying it doesn't exist It's not, is the version that's That he didn't get to finish working on Because he left But that doesn't mean he didn't make a cut That is for his own I, I don't know, I just, well, I was
1: In, in order to have, in order to make a print Of that, you have yes. to scan You know, it, it, what what you would do Is you would you'd create a negative or okay. you, you, you'd you'd have to make because a, a film print itself is a very there's a number of processes that you have to go through, and you wouldn't make a film print of something that wasn't finished, especially a movie like like Justice League. That's what I. So that's what I'm here's, saying. Here's that's what, here's what I was thinking. We all know the story of how Ryan Reynolds basically uh, somebody leaked that Deadpool footage. Um. You know, and that's how Deadpool ended up getting made. Uh, Zack Snyder played. I got to hand it to him because him and Deborah played this one perfectly because what they did was they used the release, the Snyder cut movement exactly the way they should have. They, they, they whipped up the whole movement into a frenzy because when Justice League came out that it was that ship had sailed. There's no possible way. That they were ever going to come revisit this, especially with there are two things that happened. Kevin Sujahara was gone from the studio. His regime, I mean, Toby Emmerich's still there, but his his regime is gone. And when right. Walter Hamada came in, who really understands the value of all of this and and has a much, much better understanding of fans and how this all this stuff works, I think Zack Snyder knew that, oh. Well, now, especially because Zack Snyder has a great relationship with Warner Home Video, he's, he's put out multiple formats of, of both Batman v. Superman and Watchmen. So if any filmmaker knows what he can get away with at Warner Brothers, it's him. Because he's done it before. So what he did was he used social media, and I'll say brilliantly, and he created enough uh, awareness of this. And man, he trolled everyone. I mean, it's so great. And I'll tell you how I know he did this. <laughs> so, and, and I, I, I give him all the love in the world. I mean, I thought it was brilliant. I, I it was great what he did. So, <laughs> and the film canisters was my favorite thing that he did. Cause I am willing to bet you a hundred million dollars that those film cans were, em- I'll bet you a hundred million dollars. Those film cans were empty. <laughs> those those they they there was nothing in them you know because they were they had justice league written on them as if they were battered that they had been carried around for a long time cuz you know they use they reuse film cans over and over and over again it was great i i love the whole thing so what i found very interesting is i i this was pointed out to me on my own youtube show on Rob observations back in november of 2019 I said – somebody went back and watched this and I said the problem with – after Justice League came out, the problem with the Snyder Cut, the biggest problem of all is I knew that it was going to cost tens of millions of dollars to still finish that movie. I mean I I, I, I could tell you that was – because I knew – when I saw those film cans, I'm like, come on, man. And so the thing that I was always saying is that the only, pro- the only possible way that a Snyder Cut could ever have happened – is they need someone to pay for it. And the biggest problem is they they, had two, they have two problems. One, who's going to pay for it? And two, they have all kinds of contracts that either have to be renegotiated with the talent. They're going to have to pay, probably not uh, not an insubstantial amount, all of these actors, because basically what you're doing is you're making a second film. It's a whole new movie. It's a whole new deal.
0: Yeah, it's a whole new movie. It, it's yes. a whole new
1: deal. And and that means the actors the actors have to get paid. How do the DGA contracts work? What does the WGA contracts do? There, there are – the studios are what are called guild signatories. So the studios must adhere to the union rules, the WGA, the, the DGA SAG, IATSE. There's, there's all of these, this paperwork and money that's going to have to be paid out. Like if I'm Gal Gadot and I made Batman v Superman, I make Wonder Woman, I make Wonder Woman 84, and I make Justice League. And Justice League comes out, and then someone's going to make and someone's going to make another Justice League movie, I'm going to be like, uh, well, that's great that you guys are making a movie, but you got to pay me again. This is a new movie. It's a new deal. <laughs> you know you don't just get to put out another version of Justice League without paying me. Now imagine that's true of all of the cast.:
0: And not only that, Rob, think of all the cast members that were cut out. And we're yep. not in the theatrical version uh, that we
1: got. That all
0: yep. are now in. And there, by the way, all of those people, movie.
1: all those people are SAG, and they all deserve residuals. Yes. So, so in my mind, what I was thinking from a from an industry perspective, those are two monstrously huge hurdles. And the problem is ultimately. How are how are they ever going to make? And in my mind, here's what I thought. I um, the number that I had in my mind is I thought I'll bet you, it's somewhere between fifty to seventy five million dollars to finish this. That's what I was thinking. Maybe even more. Maybe even a hundred million. And this is just because what I know about how film production works and how post production works. Post production, my formula is it's well with effects movies it's bigger, but it's at least thirty three percent of your budget. Is devoted to post-production and finishing the film, that's
0: but even if it cost them a hundred million million to finish it, if you think about it, if they would have just went with Snyder's vision in the first place, they wouldn't have had to pay for reshoots and all the extra stuff that they nope. paid for when they brought in Joss Whedon. Yeah, that's it, what that, that's that's what I don't understand. Like, well, do
1: you, I, no, the the under, here's here's what here's what really nobody is saying, and it's it's frustrating because the truth is is not being the truth is that warner brothers wanted to get rid of Zack snyder because they thought with the fan backlash the critical backlash and the fact that the movie didn't make a billion dollars that Zack snyder's approach to this material was not correct yeah and and it, it, that's that's what they really that's what it was really all about they the studio executives thought, why isn't it more like Marvel? Why isn't it funnier? Why isn't it lighter? Why can't we do you know Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, yeah, you know, they got a million reasons. But they wanted him gone, they, and they they're like, is there a way? And now, by the way, they weren't right in this assessment.
0: No, they not wrong. at all.
1: But the, the studio executives, they they honestly, I know they work for studios. They don't they don't know. They really don't know what makes something good or bad. They think they do, but they really don't. And so after all of this, they f- they had a family tragedy, gave them the excuse, they got rid of Joss. Uh, they got rid of, of Zack Snyder and then they replaced him with Joss Whedon, which, by the way, from a corporate standpoint and from a studio executive standpoint, they're like, we got the guy that made two one point five billion dollar Avengers movies. We got the guy. We got the only guy in Hollywood that could that could save our asses. Somebody that's going to make the movie that we wanted to make. And they got him. So from a studio perspective, what they thought they had done was got rid of their problem, which was Zack Snyder's vision. They got rid of him because they panicked. They don't stick by. This is this is why, why being fickle in Hollywood never works either. So they didn't stick by their filmmaker who'd only ever done right by them, really. And and um, uh, they got rid of him. They bring in Joss Whedon, in on a piece of paper that looks like they they that was great, but then, then all of the things that they probably mandated. We want it funnier. We want it less dark. We want it more kid friendly. Whatever the hell they wanted, uh, and Joss Whedon's like, okay, you know, he did everything he could, but you're stuck with Henry Cavill coming back and doing reshoots with his mustache. There's a lot we have to have it. The running time has to be like two hours or whatever. Two hours. It's not going to be. You can't make a three hour Justice League movie. What the hell? Even though. Every one of us on the planet Earth would have sat for a three-hour Justice League movie. Are you kidding me? We would have. And it would have made a billion dollars. Yes, but so would have. So that was, that was a huge problem. And the, the, the real problem now is – so that, move, that ship had sailed. Justice League was finished. We all know what happened. But with the Snyder Cut, I'm thinking, okay, let's just say it costs between 50 and $75 million. Who will pay for that? Now, a lot of people say, well, the studios can just pay for that. No, no, no. What people don't understand is the studios don't just have money in a vault – They have to borrow money to make these movies because when you're making a film, it's liquid cash. You can't make a movie on credit. You're burning capital every single day. Everybody's getting paychecks, which means that that money has to come from somewhere. So what the studios do is they borrow that money. Studios don't have $200 million or $250 million in liquid cash. There's not the, the, the business, isn't that kind of a problem? I mean, people think that the studios, we've got $5 billion in cash that we can just use to make movies. That's not how it works. You know, the studios borrow money, they make movies with the borrowed money. And then when the movie starts making money, they pay back their loans it, with interest and then they pay their overhead and all of that. And you hope that a movie that costs two and a half, we'll say it costs $250 million, you need it to make a billion dollars to break even. Everyone thinks that people think that there's a lot more money made by film, that studios are making a lot more money than they really are. So there is no $75 million to make a Snyder cut of Justice League. There's no money because they can't release it theatrically because it, because that means you're going to spend another $150 million to release a movie that what the Justice League came out and was already a disappointment. So why are you going to spend $75 million? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to make that money back? You're not going to make it back on physical media. You can't release it in a theater. And $75 million is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So how are you going to make it back? Now, there was no way to make it back. So in my mind, the Snyder cut was never going to happen. But then something happened, as I said on my show, HBO Max. HBO Max, like all the other streaming services, is looking for they've got money. They've got a lot of money to spend on new programming. God only knows how much that Friends reunion cost them. I can't even imagine. But um, just to give your listeners some examples, Netflix, just for 2019, just to have Friends on Netflix, they paid $100 million just to show Netflix. Or for, Netflix paid $100 million just to show Friends for another year. That's how much friends meant to them and their subscriber base. $100 million to show how old is friends? 20 years old? They paid $100 million to show it for one year, to have the streaming rights for a year. That's, that's how much money you're dealing with when you're, when you're when you're a streaming service. That's the kind of money you're throwing around. So I said on my show in November, last November, I said, HBO Max, for the very first time, I believe that the Snyder Cut could become a reality because HBO Max will pay for it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the reason I thought that is because Netflix has a version of Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Quentin Tarantino recut it and broke it into four hour long segments. And, and Netflix paid for that. It's on Netflix. I'm like, that's freaking cool.
0: Yeah, and so. uh the re- and the recent reports are saying that we're going to get the we're going to get the Snyder cut as a movie and we're also going to get it broken up into chapters. So we're going to get so apparently they're going to do both. Yeah. So if that if that's the case then everybody wins because now you have a movie version, you can you can port o- you'll port over to Blu-ray and you'll have the exclusive exclusive version that'll be on HBO Max with all the Extras, bells and whistles, and cliffhangers that Zack Snyder wants to throw in there. So it, I, I mean, it, it's going to be a win-win for everybody. And uh, like you just pointed out, the idea of, you know, the streaming service having money to throw around, there being a new regime in charge at Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and AT and T seeing the fan uproar for. Uh, the snyder cut is showing is showing them that there's that there
1: 's value there it 's economically viable for Abs- them to invest in this you nailed it i mean once once that economic viability was proven, then it could happen and what 's interesting is about all of this is you 're going to get something that 's probably substantially different than what was on now remember Warner Brothers this is not. Well, B- Zack Snyder has multiple copies of his version of his movies, Watchmen, and um, I even think isn't there a longer version of Three Hundred? There might be a more there might, more
0: there might be a longer version the of Three Hundred and, and, and a longer version of Man of Steel out there somewhere. But they yeah. he just you know.
1: Well, what I what I think what I would love to see is to go along with Justice League. I would like to see longer versions of Man of Steel, and by the way, I'll bet you there will be. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll bet you there's going to be longer versions of Man of Steel and longer versions of Batman v. Superman Dawn of Justice. And it's all going to be released as a piece, as a thing. Because it's now, it's now Zack Snyder's Man of Steel trilogy. Yeah. And I think they're going to do that. I think that because why, why not? And the, the one thing about, about how movies are made now, it's not like you're going in and cutting film. You know these all these things exist on a hard drives, so you just plug the hard drives in and you've got all the media there and you just work from that. So it's not as hard as it would be, say, 20 years ago. And and I think that what is very interesting about all of this is, you know, Warner Brothers released two versions of Exorcist 4. Yeah, Paul, Paul, exactly. Paul Schrader, Paul Schrader made his version and then Rennie, they weren't happy with it, but they released it, and then Rennie Harlan made his version. And right. that, which is crazy. No other studio's done anything like that, but Warner Brothers has. And so the, the thing about this is, so AT&T comes along. AT&T, and the reason it's going to cost, remember, here's another thing I thought was really telling. Once this was released, once this went down on his, uh, his live, his viewing of, once he decided, I knew, and other people knew, obviously, because I saw it online, I was like, like almost concurrently when he was going to do a watch party or whatever for man of steel, I'm like, I was convinced and other people were convinced too. People must've known, but I didn't know for sure. But you guys must've known that. this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We had, we had had, uh, had, had knowledge of it a couple days prior that it was going to go down that way. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. But as
1: soon as he was going to do that, I'm like, I'm like that they're going to announce it. And when you guys started teasing it or people, that's, I even tweeted, I said, And people misunderstood what I was saying. I tweeted. I said, uh, you know, I I made some crack about if they don't announce the Snyder cut, I I said, fans are going to be just as disappointed as when they walked out of The Phantom Menace 20 years ago. (laughs) You know, I I said something like that. But people misunderstood because I was like, I knew they were going to do it. I knew they were going to do it because it, it just seemed like after with age, i didn't back in november i had no idea that they were having conversations back in november but what was interesting once it happened and there were the stories coming out about how people had approached zack Snyder back in november and this had taken a long period of time it, it was because they didn't announce this all of the, for the, in the last 6 months all of these contract negotiations whatever they had to do was taken care of they did it all. They they didn't announce it until because can you imagine if they had an, if they had announced this without talking to the actors, right? You know, and right. if read the, the 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 agencies the the management they would have had them over a barrel. So all of this stuff, the last six months, it'll be very interesting. Like I would love to, as a DVD documentarian, I would love to do a documentary about this whole process, but do it from a perspective of 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 get in there. You'd need somebody to really from a, because the business aspects of all of this are fascinating. Like how, yes. how are they able to surmount all of this? Who did what and when and where? The whole fan, the the I, whole I
0: could just imagine like a meeting between like a bunch of lawyers chomping at each other like sharks trying to trying to get in there and, and see how How, you know, every last dime on the plate, where it's going to all end, you know, like it's, it's, it just sounded, it would be like a feeding frenzy at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one of the, one of the things, you know, by all accounts, Zack Snyder is a very well-liked man in Hollywood for the people who work with him. I am sure that, like I always say on my show, it ain't show friends, it's show business. But if there's one thing that a director who has good relationships with his talent can do, it's almost like.
0: I'm sorry Rob you're going to have to repeat yourself again yeah, cuz you cut
1: out. Yeah, every single one of those actors had a great time making that movie. And I'm sure when and, and and they talked about this in that article, when the article came out talking about how this came together, I'm sure Snyder called all these actors up and said, "Hey man, you got to help me out. You can't you can't hold me up for a bunch of money. I mean, you'll get paid." Well, it was
0: that day back it was that day back in November. When you had Gal Gadot, Ben Affleck, you had all these actors tweeting out, "Release the Snyder Cut," because yeah, that was that was the day that that was the day that we were that as a fandom we were told we have to get this trending, we have to tweet this, we have to tweet this out. Today is the day because this is the day that they're watching. This is the day where it's going to be where it's going to be pivotal, and it's ultimately going to decide this on this day whether or not this is happening or not
1: oh yeah i mean and again that's how this was very once once at&t came once they had this meeting zach snyder knew he made the phone calls he got everybody on board he's like great now we're gonna have to continue to do our work to make sure this happens and and they did a phenomenal job <laughs> i mean they did a phenomenal job but i'm sure the story is is very interesting and you know when you have, when you are a studio regime, if it, this would only be possible, if one, a, uh, HBO Max paid for it, and two, if the studio regime hadn't changed, it would never have happened. Kevin, I under- believe,
0: I believe that one hundred and twenty percent. it's all happened. because I, I, I always look at it like this. I say, and I tell people this all the time. When AT and T stepped in, it was like daddy just came in the room. They, they they don't want to play around anymore. This is what they want to do. They want to they want Zach back. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do the Snyder cut. And you're exactly right. If the if the old regime was still in power, there's no way. AT and T buying Warner Brothers was what made this possible. If you really think about it, from a you know in a
1: microcosm kind of yeah, way. Yeah, because they don't have anything to lose. And exactly for AT and T, these new executives come in, they look like heroes. And indeed, the fan community has embraced them as heroes. And, and it's, it's, just, it's just the kind of splashy. It's and we're talking about it right now. It's just kind of splashy move that you you should make. I mean, in a way, this is kind of uh, that's why I think what Zack Snyder did with this, in a way, the way he played all he played it very very well. And there is precedent. You got to look at Ryan Reynolds uh, uh, and what he did for Deadpool, uh, because you know, it, at the end of the day. Th- if so, social media f- can be wielded for good and i think this is one of the one of the the ways that it can be wielded for good because really nobody loses at the end of the day hbo max is going to get something that people assuming it's good i i would i would assume whatever it's going to be it's going to be worthwhile and it it'll, it'll be worth watching yeah. and and t and hbo max gets this piece of programming that's going to be an amazing thing. It's an amazing story. And if nothing else, they chalk it up to marketing. I mean, this is this gets so much free publicity. You know, they they don't have to pay for it. We are tweeting, you are tweeting pictures of yourself wearing a release the Snyder Cut shirt. And then you have the there's a logo now. This is free. What people don't understand is we provide free marketing for these studios. We make things go viral. They're getting millions of dollars of free advertising from us. And we yeah. hey, I willingly I will willingly support things I like. Why not? That's no, what I'm it's, saying. It's like it's, at this point you yeah, I think it's and, a good thing.
0: And the whole, you know, the whole Twitter, the whole phenomenon behind it all, it it's also fascinating and exciting how it occurred and where it, you know, and where it came from and how it started and 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 you have and you have to admit that the odds were definitely against it, and the situation was grim for sure.
1: Uh-huh. That's a very that's a very Kirk thing to say. The odds are against us; the situation is grim. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and it definitely
0: and- was not. It definitely was not something that would be. And and again, they've been. You, the point you made was great because again, they've been getting free advertisement. Off of this for years. Every day, every day you go on Twitter, you would see hashtag release the Snyder cut. Even under stuff from Warner Brothers that would have nothing to do with you know DC in any way. It would just be release the Snyder cut because the idea was for that hashtag to virally control the narrative and get to and get to the right people and. You know, thankfully, it all worked out in in that regard. But I'm with you on the idea that if it was not for AT and coming in and buying Warner Brothers, uh, the release the Snyder Cut hashtag would still uh, be going steady well, strong today for sure. Yeah, be-
1: because there would be nobody to pay for it. And and as we've talked about, that the twofold problem is not just paying for it, but also getting everybody's contracts and ducks in a row. Sure, there's an incredible amount of work. I mean, people don't understand. Just how much work was involved, and how many people they had to talk to and the the contracts, and they alluded to that in the article about like one of the the guys well, the head of h b o Max says, "I only wish it would cost thirty million dollars
0: right, because the initial rumor, the initial uh, numeric number that had been going around for several several months prior to the announcement was forty million dollars. There was a group of guys on uh, on Twitter. Whom a lot of us in the Snyder Cut movement dubbed as the 40 Club Because they would go on podcasts and they'd go on uh, YouTube videos And they would always be talking about us having to show Warner Brothers The economic viability for this because it's going to cost $40 million to complete So $40 million was the, was the number that that I guess... That I guess analytically we had to show Warner Brothers That it was possible for, for them to make the kind of money They would need to make in order to be able to justify Putting out this movie So it kind of, so that was the number that we were hearing And then like you said with the article When, when that came out where, where he said he only wished that it cost that much it's, it's kind of like when you think about it From a marketing perspective If it's going to cost more than that They've got to know that they're going to make that back, and subscriptions, no problem. I mean, if they're, if they're spending this kind of money.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I still maintain it's going to cost 50 to $75 million, but that's, that's you know, only because... And, and by the way, if you really think about it, an episode of Game of Thrones costs $10 million. Yeah. You know? So if you're going to get a four-hour-plus version of Justice League with all of these actors and you think about it, let's say you're spending 20 million an episode because you're going to get four or five episodes out of this. It's expensive, but it's not that expensive. I mean, don't get me wrong. $20 million for a TV show is expensive, but if you do it as a movie, you sell it on physical media, you break it apart you, you release it. I mean, I know Deborah Snyder, um, she, I think she said, "Well, we're not doing this for the movie theaters." I'm like,
0: mm, "Really?
1: <laughs> like, if you need to defray the costs of this, um, maybe they'll put it in movie theaters for a week." You know, with, with-
0: I, I always thought like a, like it would be a like if it comes to movie theaters. I mean, if the rumors are true that they're going to uh, release it as a movie as well as a as a as a series if they put it in movie theaters the movie version in movie theaters if they did like a fathom events thing and they had well, it in theaters for a um, like even for like one weekend or whatever they they would see pro- they probably would get quite a bit of money off of that because diehards like myself would make sure that we went to this event and seen it as many times as we could while it was playing theatrically so, or,
1: or even more, I think more a possibility would be IMAX. Yeah. IMA- IMAX says, all right, you know, IMAX has become, they've, they've got a lot of viability. IMAX is like, we want to release, we want to play this, the, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. We'll play it in IMAX exclusively, maybe. We'll give you five million bucks. And uh, you, put it in, you put it exclusively in our IMAX theaters for three weeks. And that's it. I mean, that's what they're going to do now is they're going to do anything they can to defray the costs of this, whether it's a physical media release, whether it's a theatrical release, however they're going to do it. Well,
0: when I think about all of that, and I think about about me and all the people that have wanted wanted this, and I will tell you this, I will tell you this, Rob, the day that they announced that this was happening, this was – a week prior to the launch of HBO Max, and I, I went on HBO Max and I signed up right then. Once they made that announcement, I went up signed signed up for HBO Max and I went on and tweeted about it and said straight up, "HBO Max, I'm with you for life. I'm with you for the life of the platform because you're doing this. It's it's and a lot of people that are involved that were involved in this whole process are." That feel the same way I do. So HBO Max is getting lifelong, lifelong fans, lifelong subscriptions out of this already, and we're a year away from the Snyder Cut.
1: Right. But that's yeah.
0: but that's brand loyalty because of what they've done, because of what AT and T did. It goes back to what you were saying about how now this AT and T regime that has done this. Are are heroes because they because they did something that the old regime over at WB refused to do. So it's 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 all quite fascinating, and I think I think you cut out again.
1: No, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. Um, but yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think that that all of this is very interesting, and you know, ultimately, if this turns out to be great. You know, if if this version of Justice League and and I look at it this way, it can't be any worse. So and and I like Zack Snyder. So I'm hoping this is a great continuation of, of of what we got with Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Uh, No one loses. You know, every this this will go down in history as a great Hollywood success story. It's a great fan success story, and um, and and it's I think it's really good for. I'm really happy for ultimately with. Zach and Deborah Snyder having that kind of a of a tragedy in their family and having to deal with it with the extra added blow of having a movie like this taken away and and you know you 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 put your whole life if you direct a movie your whole life goes into it i mean it's and how many times at bat do you get to make movies like this and I think this is what a great. What a great reward for him and for Deborah to be able to not that I know them, I should say Mr. and Mrs. Snyder. Um, but the the it's a great reward for for them. And I think have you have
0: you ever met have you ever met them at all? Like have you ever I haven't, bumped I have into not. them? I have never? Not. Wow. Okay. I've
1: never I've never met them. And you know, it's really funny because one of my favorite movies of all time is George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And and I hated the idea that they were going to remake Dawn of the Dead. I have never been so primed to hate anything in my life. I was walking in there with my arms folded and a, a sour puss expression on my face to see the 2004 Dawn of the Dead, and I was just so I'm like, this is terrible, and I, I was so angry. And when it was over, I was like, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, and 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 so. And so, I mean, if there's one exp- movie-going experience I had in my life where I was just primed to hate something – and I tell you, I didn't just – I wasn't – I didn't just kind of hate it. Like I hated it with every fiber of my being, the fact that they did this. And I – because I've seen you know Dawn of the Dead 100 times. It was the first bootleg videotape I ever owned. I mean it was just it, – it's just a lifelong obsession with Dawn of the Dead. And When I saw the movie, the first ten minutes, I was like, "All right, all right, okay," and I ended up really liking the movie a lot. And I was, and by the way, there's a there's an extended director's cut of there's Dawn a director it right that there's a director's cut and it
0: there's a director's cut and it is absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, and and I I I guess I became a Zack Snyder fan on that day, you know because. I I hated him
0: <laughs> For me I was For me with, with Zack Snyder I loved 300 And I loved Man of Steel And everything and I was The only movie that I was a little bit Worried about going in And only because I'm Such a huge huge fan of The source material was Watchmen So I was Worried going into Watchmen Because I'm like oh my god you know The there's been so much because I knew about all the behind the scenes and development hell this thing had been going through for so mm. long, and I remember being I was I was sick as a dog going to the theater that day to see Watchmen. I went to see it on opening day with with uh, <clears throat> you know and I'm and I we went we went and seen it and with the woman I'd gone to see it with and I, I was I was like in horrible shape. My head was pounding and I was sitting there like. I was scared that I was going to hate the movie because I loved Zack Snyder as a director, but I was just worried because it was Watchmen, and I didn't I didn't know what to make of it. You know, I'm like, oh my god, they're doing this movie; it's going to be, and I, I just and when I left Watchmen, I was like, I was like, you know, Zack did a good job. I I I feel like I felt like you know. Zach had cured my cold or whatever it was that was wrong with me when I went to the theater that day because I left and I was, I was feeling good. I'm like, oh, the movie was the movie was good. The movie didn't you know didn't destroy the didn't destroy the book or anything. So now I can go and uh, I can go into home and rest
1: easy. Yeah, I mean, so, Watchmen's one of the book I probably read fifty times. Yeah, I, I yes. love I love Watchmen. I I kind of have a. A love-hate relationship with the movie in the sense really? that i think as a it, to me it's a recreation of the watchman graphic novel as opposed to being a adaptation i kind of felt like that way too i i kind of felt that way too but in
0: in a more positive way because i kind of felt like like Zach, really? When you you could tell that Zach Snyder loves the material too. Yeah. So it's like you you kind of feel like if if he didn't make at least somebody who was a fan of it and loves the material made it and tried to and like you said recreated it in a sense. Yeah. Because because you because if you're not a fan of it, we would have ended up getting. Like some of the versions of it that we heard about in the past Where they wanted to set it in the modern day And make it, you know And you have, you know, you have uh, I, I just, there's a lot of like different stories Of different scripts and stuff that went around I'm sure you've heard of them or yeah, and sure. read some of them But I mean, to me, I, a, a recreation of it I kind of feel like is really the only way It could have been made given the way, Given the kind of material it is I don't know
1: Sorry, I cut out there. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, but I, you know, to me, the, the, the problem that I have with Watchmen, the movie, is that the comic book and the story is also a meta commentary on the comic book medium as a whole. Yes. And in order for the comic book to work as well as it does, you have to really be a comic book fan that's read a lot of comic books. You yes. know, you have to understand the the comic tropes. And there were a lot of things in the movie in Zack Snyder slavishly recreating stuff like the original 40s era Watchmen or the Minutemen. You know, you look at those characters and you're like, nobody would re those work. Those work fine on the printed page. But like Mothman and Hooded Justice, no oh, one's yeah. really going to dress up like that. Those were impractical. Right. Co- right. So, when I, right. I, to me, that's where the adaptation needed to come in. Like, one of the things I think is brilliant about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is it, Captain America, the first Avenger, when you finally see him in his workable World War II, like, even though he looks like Captain America, it's still a functioning battle suit. You, you, he looks like he can function in wartime. You know, when he's, not, when he's not doing the USO tour classical Captain America costume, when he finally has the Cop- Captain America costume he's using to fight in World War II, it's believable. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's a redesign of the costume, but it looks like it's military fatigues. It looks like it works as a battle suit, and yet he's still a symbol. So I think one of the great things about the MCU is the costume designs. I think the costume designs are am- amazing. Which is one of the reasons I like to collect all the hot toy figures of those fig because I think that they've made those costumes both redolent of the comic books, but also workable in a real world situation. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And they, uh, it's something they never get enough credit for. And sometimes fans are like, but they don't look exactly like they they look in the comics. I'm like, look, they they can't. You're not you're not looking at a comic. You're looking in the real world now, and it's really hard. To make costumes look good on camera, it's yeah, really and that—that's where
0: that's where I, you know, but that's another But see, that's where I. That's kind of where. What your point is about the MCU is was is kind of my counterpoint for Watchmen. I kind of I appreciated the fact that the costume designs and all of that that aesthetic. Looked like it came right off the page I really no, appreciated did. that Because to me, it was like If you're going to attempt to redo Watchmen I kind of feel like the idea is if you, mess, if you mess this up By adapting it and trying to make it too You know, too modern and, Or too, you know with, uh, And not, not modern in the sense of, of the world But just like the sensibilities then you're gonna then you're gonna screw it up. So I kind of felt like to me for the costume designs and all the things that Zack Snyder did that came right off the page, like you said, slavishly off the pages, work to the advantage of the movie because now you can look at the you can look at the book and you can look at the movie and you can get you can get that ex- that experience of it coming to life. The way you would in, uh, you envisioned it, or at least have the way I envisioned it as a kid reading Watchmen. Oh so yeah, I, no, I,
1: that's it, what I'm it, saying.
0: It, that that's how I saw Watchmen in my head as a kid. I'm seeing the movie. I'm seeing the realization of these pages coming to life when I was a child. When I was a child reading this <laughs> book. No, I mean. So I'm thinking. So um, that's that's what where I give I it. Think where I give it. No credit.
1: doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no doubt about that, but what – what like I would say for instance, Nixon serving four terms. Like when, yeah. the comic, yeah. when the comic book came out, 85, 86, when it came out, the idea of Watergate and President Nixon and Vietnam was still very alive in American pop culture. But in the late aughts, the late 2000 – when did it come out? 2009 – 2007 yeah, two, 2009 2000. it came out 2009. 2009 when it came out in 2009 you're you're now 20 how how far removed you're 25 years removed from when it came out the comic book came out so you're 25 years removed from president nixon so when you're watching the movie the idea of nixon it was it just felt odd like we as Watchmen fans go of course president nixon you know we get what we're doing but but the idea of the, of the whole clock, the, the doomsday clock and all of that, that, had, that no longer existed in pop culture the way it did when Alan Moore wrote Watchmen. Right. So when you're watching it on camera, I think a lot of audience members that were maybe new to Watchmen that hadn't read it are like, what does all of this mean? Like all of this iconography, I think a lot of it was sort of lost on people.
0: Well, you know, you know, you can you can kind of harken it to like, a, you could look at it and say, Watchmen is in a is what it is. It's a period piece. That's right. what it is. It's like if you take, it's like if you take superman and i always i always said what what they what they should have done with an, with another superman if they were ever to reboot superman again which i know they will they know, will sometime down the line but if they were to ever re- re- do superman again they should do a period piece superman have it in depression 1930s and ha- and and recreate the environment of the original comic book and see how people take it. Give it, give it, they give it the old, you know, the cl- the old classic sense. Like you bring up, you bring up the, you bring up the Marvel movies. You bring up the M- MCU. You bring up Captain America. It would be interesting to see Superman in his original. 1930s aesthetic in that environment. So let's see what let's see what it would what it would look like as a period piece. That's how I look at how I look at Watchmen. I don't see Watchmen as anything more than a period piece that literally reflects the books that it actually that it's actually trying to you know respect which is something That a lot of these newer These newer films in my opinion You know don't particularly with the MCU Don't really do because when I Look at when I look at Captain America I, I liked uh, How they how they did It how they how they gave us that World War II aesthetic and But I would I actually would Have appreciated it more if they would have Stuck to the to the classic Comic look book and look instead Of trying to make it trying to give it modern realistic a modern realistic look because in the end, it wasn't modern or realistic. it was a comic book. it was based on something that as a kid, you're seeing these pages, you're reading these books and you're experiencing it as a child and when you're looking at it on the big screen as a movie, you're seeing it how you always saw it in your head as a kid. So to me I kind of I, I kind of feel like, if you put it in perspective and you take a lot of these characters in these movies as period pieces, you won't get offended if they're not if they don't have realistic sensibilities.
1: No, I, I you know I tend I tend to agree with you. And uh, but the thing with Watchmen, I think that I would like to see more of. Is, you know, a little bit more effort to sort of adapt the comic and make it more because the comic book of Watchmen is so much about the comic book medium. So the idea of costume vigilantes works in that medium. But when you're trying to have people, we, the audience, don't have the context for costume superheroes in our real world. So what it was trying to do was a little off the mark, at least when you're watching it as a movie. But like with you, like I there's a lot of Watchmen, I really enjoy watching a lot of it come off the page. But there are there are things in it too, directorial things that I didn't like. For instance, when they're playing when Zack Snyder uses Ride of the Valkyries in the in the Vietnam scene. What he's doing is he's referencing Coppola's Apocalypse Now because there's the famous scene using Ride of the Valkyries, so he's being right. He's, he's, referencing, he's referencing another movie through his musical choice, and I thought that was a little strange because you're now you're, – you're referencing a comic and you're, you're adapting a comic and referencing another movie to give yourself context for Vietnam. And I thought stuff like that was a little weird, but I mean I understand why he did it.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, I you know, and to me I I took I took no issue with that at all. In fact, my the for me, I like to watch the ultimate cut of Watchmen that has the tales of the Black, Black Freighter yeah. cartoon wi- woven back into the story because to me that feels great because Tales of the Black Freighter was a big part of Watchmen. So, yes. To me that has to be there for me to for me to accept it and for me to feel a connection to it, a lot of people don't feel that way, and I and I think a lot of times the reason that people kind of take issue with it is maybe Black Freighter wasn't as important to them reading the comic. I don't know, but for me, Black Freighter's got to be in there. If you're going to watch it and you're going to you want to recreate, if you want to take Zack Snyder's Watchmen for what it is, you want to, which is essentially a recreation of the of the comic book series. Then you wanna, then you wanna see it all, and you want it, you want it to, you want it to appear on screen like it would in your head. So to me, I, I, I gotta have Black Freighter. So that's my preferred way to watch it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I me too. But even the Black Freighter, because in that world with real superheroes, you know, kids were reading pirate comics instead, right? You know? And and so one of the things I think about the, that's odd about here's here's this where I'm coming from. I like watching – I only watch that version of Watchmen with the Black Freighter. I only watch that version of of Watchmen with the Black Freighter. But if you really think about it, you know, in the movie there's a kid at the newsstand reading a comic book. So why is – why are we watching something that's animated? And I get it. We're supposed to be watching it through his mind. But it is strange. Yes. That we're watching an animated sequence and I don't think it really conveys what's supposed to be conveyed. Like when people watch it, they're like, why are we suddenly watching an animated sequence? And we get it. If you've read the comic, we get it. But even if you're reading – even if you've read the comic, you're still – it's still a kid reading a comic book that they've decided to make animated – which is kind of strange. I would have. Although, although I, I, like I, think I think he could
0: have. I think he could have gotten away with doing uh, Black Freighter in live action. To tell you the truth, I think well, that as a separate, like a short, like a separate short film, it could have worked as a live action thing. Because I don't know when I would, when I would read Watchmen, I always seen it in my head playing out as a, like a live action
1: thing. Uh, you know what? I agree with you. And if they just tied it in, I think when we're all kids growing up and we're reading comic books, we imagine them in live action anyway sure you know whenever you're playing and so that would have been really and i understand they, and i
0: understand why they did it as an animated thing i, I take no issue with it being animated just from oh, the it would standpoint, have cost a just the standpoint is it action. would have yeah that it would have cost a fortune to do it in live action and to do it in live action it would have been crazy because then yeah you would have had to have gerard butler in there and you would have had to have that i mean it, there's oh, a yeah. lot of things that would have that would have probably bloated them, bloated the budget if they would have did that in live action, especially if they weren't going to have it have the black freighter material in the theatrical cut anyway. Right. They probably would have cut it out and waited later on because they the theatrical cut for Watchmen was was horribly cut, just like just like every other Zack Snyder movie that wasn't Batman v Super. I mean, that wasn't Man of Steel or Three Hundred.
1: Yeah, no. It's, so, <laughs> it... well, what's so funny is is you know it's almost like he suffers. He's making these movies, and then the studio sort of abandons him, right? You know, in a, in a way, like Batman v Superman. Apparently, all the Warner Brothers executives like the original cut of it, and then uh, like, yeah, oh, he
0: got he got like a standing ovation. I yeah, heard, then... and 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 then all of a sudden, up oh, we got to cut it for time because we need you know we need butts and seats. I I guess.
1: Well, I mean, it's such a weird. It, to me, it's such a weird. That idea, the idea that people aren't – well, you can't have movies. that We have to have a certain amount of showings every single day. I get all that. I totally understand that. But you're now dealing with an audience of people that had never existed before. The audience for these comic book movies, us, the fanboy crowd and, and the people that love us that we drag <laughs> to these movies, I mean we're, we're, a, we're an audience that 20 years ago did not exist. I mean, exactly. we, we were growing in legion, and now, like, you know, I'm an old man with one foot in my grave, and I'm, I, I'm, I've grown up with this stuff. So for me, I'm, I'm living in Shangri La right now. I mean, I've the the uh, between getting things like the boys or the Umbrella Academy or the Doom Patrol or. Star Wars movies, as much as I hate modern Star Trek, we're still getting more Star Trek, and they're doing Star Trek animated shows, and this, and the fact that so much entertainment now is geared toward us, the imagination connoisseurs. We are getting more than, but by leaps and bounds. Whether it's video games, I mean, the sophistication of all, all of the stuff that we're getting astonishes me. It astonishes me that we now live in a world where anything is possible. Hey, they're going to make a preacher TV show. Twenty years ago, I would have said, "No way." Better
0: be better be careful, Rob, or they might end up remaking Free Enterprise.
1: <laughs> well, what's funny is th- <laughs> I, I think Free Enterprise would actually have a huge audience now. Yeah, I, I do. It, it, it fell through the cracks. That's why I want to, you know, redo it if I can get my hands on it because. I you know I would update it and just make it a little better little nips I'm not going to change it or anything but I'd make it, because when it came out the first time I think it didn't make any money and it was acquired by a company that had never acquired a movie before and they put it out like even I said I mean I wish people would listen to me but I I I said look don't put it in 9 theaters in Los Angeles because if no one knows it's there put it in one theater in the Sunset 5 which is a in, was was an indie theater that it could have gotten a great per screen average but no they're like no we want it to be really splashy and we're going i'm like you didn't you didn't advertise the movie so I'll tell you one of the one of the great disappointments in my life was we rented a limo and and we drove from theater to theater and there was nobody in the theaters it was monumentally depressing but I knew it was going to happen because they had no advertising they didn't advertise people didn't know it was coming and nowadays with the internet i mean if a lot of people i know there are people that don't even know i made a movie that I directed you know, a movie
0: You know I came across it at a Suncoast video I went I, t- I walked in to the Suncoast video And I was going through And honestly I'll never forget when I first came across Free Enterprise I had pulled it over And right next to it Was the Criterion version Of Last Temptation of Christ <laughs> so there was Free Enterprise and Last Temptation of Christ. I remember well, both buying, movies
1: are about bo- God.
0: I bu- I remember buying both both discs. But the <laughs> but that's not that's beside the point. It's just the idea that it was there, that where it was, and and how I came across it and for me it it just became it became one of my top 5 favorite movies of all time so well, i think i think you i think the i think you're exactly right i think it would be very very relevant today especially considering we're going through the post geek singularity so because yeah. of that i think this i think this movie would be more relevant than than ever i remember watching the, the movie with an old girlfriend and i remember she was like mortified throughout the entire movie free enterprise okay until until she got to the scene where where the the star trek ornament the girl took the star trek ornament away said i'm taking this and and he stood up she started laughing so hilariously she laughed about that scene for about 20 minutes, Rob. So I I knew right then that, that 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 movie was I I don't know, just very 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 relatable on so many levels. I, I just I I don't know. I it's well, it's still to me to me to this day I I think I mean I think even after after the show when this show's over, I think I'm going to go watch Free Enterprise. Well, I what's just,
1: funny to me is is you know, I wonder a, a lot of it by the way, there's if it were to play now, there's a lot of people that wouldn't like a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's a lot you, of
0: You uh, Rob, Rob, you, you'd probably get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> you <would> get canceled. <laughs> you would get canceled. You would get canceled over the scene at the comic book shop where Claire oh. writes writes her phone number on the on the expensive on the expensive comic.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, X Men Two, X Men 264. 240, 264. yeah. <laughs> First appearance of Gambit. I mean, uh, but I'll tell you something. There's there's a lot of stuff like like even a guy going to a pretty girl. Why would a girl be in a comic book store? People would look at that now and go, Oh, oh so yes, an accident. you know. Yes, and and, and, then, and
0: then and then we're at the point where he says where he says uh, is that Mac lipstick you're wearing?
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh
0: he oh he thinks he knows like you. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we can't solve. <laughs> it's just it well, what, is. It's... What I
1: would do is is one of the things that I would do is I would I would put a date on it. I would put uh, September 13th at the beginning of the movie. It, it says right now it says the near present, <laughs> but oh, one of the wow. things that I would do if I get to do a new version of the film is I would put September 13th, 1999 on it, and I so you would know that it takes place in 1999. But it would say Los Angeles, September 13th, 1999. September 13th, 1999 is when the moon was blown out of Earth's orbit in space 1999. <laughs> but I, I would want people to know that it's a period piece because there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of deeply misogynistic stuff that, by the way, it's supposed to be deeply misogynistic on purpose. Because that's
0: the way things were back then. Yeah. But nowadays Look, people it, are like,
1: wait, what? That,
0: but that's the thing I'll never understand. You can't. You can't revise history or erase history to match up with the sensibilities of the modern day. That will never work. No. That's what I've never understood. It's like as a society, we have to learn from history in order to grow as human beings. So I'll never understand the idea of cancel culture because, but like, when they, like, this whole big stink that was being made about Gone with the Wind last week yeah i mean i i just I literally don't understand if you if you want to put a disclaimer in front of the movie, if you want to have a round table discussion about it, that's fine, but you don't want to remove the movie because of the historical significance. you want to keep it there for the historical for the historical value and so that people will learn from it. Yes, the stuff that's in it may not be may not fit with today's sensibilities, obviously not. But it doesn't mean that taking it away is going to help the situation. So for me, I kind of feel like you know, you know, you, yeah, as long as you put like you you do that, you date it, maybe put a disclaimer at the beginning of it. I don't know, Rob, but you would have to do something because, yeah, if you, if it got a
1: re-release, it would be uh, it would be well,
0: it- frowned upon in certain areas.
1: Well, you know, yeah, I mean, what's, what's so weird to me is, like, nowadays, they they were pulling down a a statue of Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant, you know, the man who defeated the Confederacy and basically messed up the KKK. Now, he also owned slaves. He also fought against the Indians. He was, from our perspective, a problematic individual. But the time in which he lived, and you go back— The world was a very, very different place. And, you know, he was a guy that had a change of heart and he he lived under a certain system. And as he got older, he realized this isn't a good system. You know, it's not like he was an activist who said, you know, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be killing all the indigenous people here in in the New Americas. I mean, or whatever. Not the New Americas, but it had been around. But these people lived in a very different world and we're trying to judge them. You know, difficult people like you're going to pull down every single monument for the the people persevered at a time when, uh, uh, (laughs) it was a very different place. Now, am I defending people who own slaves? No, but at the time it was not unusual to do so. That was the world. And it, people were enslaved for hundreds of years and it's not like this was some fad. So, you know, you go back and, and, Now we want to cancel people and, and like, we've moved beyond that. You know, we had men that knew the error of their ways and that's why slavery was abolished and prevented and that's why the Civil War was fought. And it's such a strange time that I feel like we live in a world where, you know, we have these knee-jerk emotional reactions. If this makes me feel bad, then we have to get rid of it right now. And I'm like, the world is indifferent to your suffering. The universe... one day, a solar flare could come, like in the end of the movie, knowing, and, and wipe us all off, burn us all off the face of the planet. And, and you know, while do I think that we should have statues of, of, of Confederate war heroes? No, I don't. They were treasonous. They stood for a, a way of life that we in the United States didn't. They seceded from the Union. But I think we need to have museums so people can go and see where we came from. And that where we've where we've actually come to, how we're not those people anymore, and isn't that a good thing? We should yes. be congratulated, and we're in a constant state of evolution. And now you can't get—I always say this on my show—but you can't trade one oppression for another. And I mean, uh, you, we have to move forward together. We have to evolve, and we have to we have to be smart, you know. And what I've said is that the, we're not going to solve all of these problems that we're dealing. We're not going to solve these problems we're dealing with now <laughs> until we do things like we have. We need to make education, income inequality, and health care the primary things that we fix in this country. And for the lower income uh, areas of our country where they don't get the money they should, we need to put more money into those places. We need to make sure that kids who aren't, whether it's in minority neighborhoods or whether it's in poor neighborhoods, those are the places that we need to put money. We need to rise people up. We have to give them the opportunities. We have to give them the great education they deserve. We need to pay teachers. We have to rise up every kid. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what their religious preference is. It doesn't matter. We have an obligation and we are not meeting it to make sure that our population is the best educated, has the best health care, and has everybody is given a shot. You know, that we have income inequality, it's taken care of because a lot of the problems that this country has starts at the beginning. And we – you want to you want to start these – you, you want to get rid of things like racism? You got to create a, a, a group of people that from the very beginning are getting the best education they can. And, and they get the best attention they can. And they learn to work together. And they have opportunities to be on, in music programs and arts programs and sports programs. And we have to do all of those things. And that's how we're going to make a better society, not pulling down statues.
0: Well, yeah, I think, you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> so so on that note, I, I have to say thank you very much, Robert, for joining me on tonight's episode. It was great having you here tonight. And it was great. Uh, this whole conversation was, was awesome. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, and, this was a uh, real pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope that... I hope people don't chase me on Twitter. The release the Snyder cut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, hope, gonna... <laughs> I hope people understand. I I can't wait to see the Snyder cut of Justice League. I cannot. Well, that's, wait. What,
0: I, uh, well, that's what I was telling people. I'm like I'm like yeah, but you're a Zack Snyder fan and you want to see this too. So it's yeah. not yeah. it's not like that. You just had a different perspective because uh, you were. Looking at it differently But on that note we're going to go ahead And end tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show Thank you everybody for listening You've been listening to PSN-Radio.com